Good morning, good morning, and I join um, everyone else in just welcoming you here and letting you know that it's just such a privilege. I love to join you for corporate worship on Sundays, and I especially love to teach and preach God's Word, but it's taken me this long to wrangle it back from David all these six weeks. No, I mean, it's all right. Y'all had enough of me in the summer, right? Um, But David and I both agreed that it was just really great um, for him and for us just to get to to kind of get to know him as we learned and heard from God through him these past uh, six weeks as our lead pastor. And so thank you, David. Uh, we are, I don't, I don't know about you, but I have learned already so much from him, and I am grateful that God has brought both him and Jen here to lead and partner with us in reaching the tri-state region for Jesus. Amen. So uh, we look forward from here on out, actually, we're going to hopefully just be sharing the honor and the privilege of being able to faithfully preach God's word to you each Sunday. So um, you'll just have to come every Sunday to see who who you're going to get. So one of my favorite people of all time had the football this week. Tom Boyer and his wife, Char, have been part of Four Mile Church for decades. As a matter of fact, they were instrumental in forming and encouraging my faith. Without a doubt, they helped uh, just write and instill the, instrument, or the, the fundamentals on my heart. And so um, I love you, Tom Boyer, and I'm really, really glad that you're here. So he's going to throw the football to me. Thank you. And... <laughs> He is actually going to read our passage for this morning. I was a little concerned about throwing the football, but my grandson gave me some good advice. He said, Papa, don't show off with that behind the backer. Just complete the path. (laughs) Good morning, brothers and sisters. Our reading this morning comes from Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. They put it on a stand. It gives light to all in the house. In the same way, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Thank you, Tom. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we are so very thankful for your living and active word. And we pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would use it to pierce our hearts this morning. And that you would change us. That you might be glorified in and through our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 
So if you've been joining us um, for Sunday mornings over the last several weeks, you know that we have begun to wade into the waters of Jesus' very first recorded sermon, what we now call the Sermon on the Mount. And that's the immediate context of the passage that Tom just read. And we speak of context often because it is just so important. About a month ago, David and I devoted a whole sermon to helping us understand why and how this entire word or message from Jesus was so incredibly foundational, though absolutely counter to the first disciples' whole worldview. In the Beatitudes, Jesus literally turned their perspective of the world and the kingdom upside down. He very cogently described the nature of life in the kingdom of heaven. Another way of saying that is that Jesus was teaching them what the character of one who follows and trusts in Christ looks like. And character is all about our hearts, isn't it? It's who we are on the inside. It's critically important that we get that straight, that the nature of disciples in the kingdom of God is first and foremost about our hearts. It's about humility, always. But if you think Jesus rocked their world and ours with the Beatitudes, y'all better hold on to your seats because he is just getting started. We have got to understand That who and what we are on the inside necessarily directs and determines the impact that we will have on the outside, on the world around us. Which is precisely why Jesus started with the Beatitudes and then he goes directly into these two powerful and piercing metaphors. Declaring how disciples are meant to impact the world around them because of the nature of the kingdom life inside of them. So do you follow? Friends, as Christ followers and members of his kingdom right here in Beaver County, right now in 2021, every single one of us has a profoundly important function and purpose in the unique spheres in which God has placed us. We are meant to be right here and now exactly what the disciples were meant to be back then and there, salt and light. You are the salt of the earth. The impact of this metaphor is probably lost quite a bit on us. When Jesus delivered this sermon 2,000 years ago, salt was an incredibly versatile and important commodity. Not, Not that it isn't valuable now, it's just valued in a different kind of way, if that makes sense. Which is why the metaphor probably doesn't pack as much of a punch for us today. Back then, salt was so valuable that it was actually used almost like money. It was a medium of exchange. No doubt, one of the most important uses was as a preservative, which, as you can imagine, with no refrigeration, uh, was hugely necessary to prevent decay and decomposition. It was also used to disinfect wounds and was essential in their diet, as it is in ours, not only as a mineral that our bodies need, but also to enhance flavor. I also learned that it was uh, actually used, it can be used in small amounts as fertilizer, which I didn't know that about salt. Point is, 
many commentators agree that because there were so many varied uses of salt at the time, Jesus wasn't necessarily pointing to any one specific analogy. As much as he was just saying to his disciples, your presence here in this world is vitally important. Your value and purpose as the salt of the earth is nearly inestimable. Because of the inner transformation of their hearts, due to the impact of the kingdom of heaven on and in them, their lives were to be categorically different from everyone else around them. They were to be set apart, a theme that we see all throughout scripture. And part of God's plan and purpose in setting his people apart was and still is to use them as the means for influencing the world around them for their good, but ultimately for his glory. The same is true for us, church. As Jesus' disciples, we are the salt of the earth. We are meant to help prevent and slow down the moral decay of this fallen world. We are meant to provide Christ-exalting kingdom seasoning to our families, our workplaces, schools, and communities. By the very nature of the kingdom within us, we are meant to help bring healing and to promote the growth of God's work in this world. So are we doing that? Is the kingdom of God in you and in me influencing the people and the places around us for the glory of God? As I was preparing, I was reminded of a question that we have often asked ourselves here at Four Mile Church over the years and one that always convicts me. If our church ceased to exist, would anyone even notice? In other words, have we been faithful to our calling to be salt right here where God's planted us? Have we impacted the people and the communities around us and all the ways that God intends. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. It was interesting to read scholars' thoughts and opinions on what Jesus is saying here. For the sake of time, we won't get into them all, but what seems to make the most sense, again, based on the context, everything that Jesus has said in the sermon and everything he's going to say, is that the point is that real salt doesn't lose its saltiness. Genuine disciples of Jesus cannot help but have the character, the humility that Jesus describes in the Beatitudes. Genuine disciples cannot help but be changed from the inside out. Now, to be absolutely sure, this sanctification or character transformation does not happen overnight. We're all works in progress, as we just heard, and that's okay. Again, it's okay to not be okay. We just don't want to stay in that place. True disciples cannot lose what has made them disciples. And the proof of that reality will necessarily be recognized more and more in the nature of their lives and the impact they have 
on the world around them, varied though it may be, just like all the different uses of salt. I'm pretty sure that you're not going to like hearing what I had to hear, if you will, as I was preparing this, but we need to hear it. Because remember, Four Mile, here at Four Mile, we love one another to tell each other the truth. This is a serious issue. And it's actually something that we're going to run into near the end of Jesus' sermon in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus' words here confirm that there are imposter disciples, if you will. Ones who attempt to live kingdom-flavored lives, but it's only external. They're trying their hardest to look good on the outside by doing all the right things. But the problem is that there's been no real inner transformation and therefore they have no lasting impact on this world at all because ultimately they're no different from it. They're not good for anything. Listen to what one commentator said in response to these verses. He said, The challenge is for professing disciples to examine their nature and to, and to confess honestly whether or not they have been transformed by the life of the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not drawing attention to that to scare or to heap guilt on anyone or to shame or anything like that. Not at all. That is not what we do here. But we do pursue truth. And that truth is found in the person, the words, and the works of Jesus Christ. He loved us enough to tell us the truth, and he calls us to love one another in the very same way. Whether we like it or not, whether it's easy or not, whether it makes us comfortable or not, whether it's popular or not. As kingdom dwellers, we are the salt of the earth. It's who we are. It's part of our nature and because of who we are, we are meant to have a significant, God-glorifying impact on the world around us. And if we're not, we need to seriously ask ourselves, why? Jesus' disciples are not only the salt of the earth. He goes on to say, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So this is very similar to the salt metaphor, but with this one, Jesus takes it one step further. Light is another theme that we see woven all throughout Scripture. As biblical history and theology unfolded, light most often indicated the removal of spiritual darkness. And not surprisingly, it's a great metaphor because other than someone who has been born blind, it's nearly universally understood. The contrast between physical light and darkness is unmistakable and so there's virtually no one who hasn't experienced it. The comparison between good and evil, God and Satan, believers and unbelievers is clear. In the Gospel of John, Jesus declares that he is the light of the world and that those who believe in him will no longer be in darkness. So make no mistake, Jesus is the, capital T, capital H, capital E, light of the world. 
It is only in his light that we see light, Psalm 36 tells us. But as reflections of Jesus, and because our hearts have been transformed by the nature of the kingdom within us, Jesus' disciples are to be living demonstrations and bearers of his light and the message of salvation to all those who are still living in darkness around us. That is our calling. That is who we are and what we are meant to be and do in this world. And just like Jesus made the point that real salt can't lose its saltiness, so he continues in that same vein when he says that a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. It's just not possible and neither does it make any sense to light a lamp only to hide it so that no one benefits from it. It doesn't make any sense. It's just foolish. You'd put it way up high on a stand, right? So that as many people as possible could benefit from it. Now it's the other extreme than a city set on a hill, but how many of you have ever gone to Laurel Caverns or anything like that? I love those places. They're so cool. Um, If you have, you've experienced near total darkness, right? Like the kind where you can't even see your hand in front of your face. I remember when our guide lit a very small match and it was amazing how much that small flame chased away the darkness that almost felt suffocating just moments before. Christian, the good news of Jesus Christ is not a secret to be kept. You are the light of the world. This world is a dark, dark place and it only seems to be getting darker. You may not feel like it, but the light of Jesus within you has a profound impact on all of those around you. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Jesus says that a genuine disciple will not and quite frankly cannot hide his or her light. His transformed heart The very nature of kingdom life that has been formed within him is a living reflection and testimony to those in the world who are still living in darkness. A disciple of Jesus will do good works, not because she is trying to be light, but because she has made to be light by him. She has been made to be light by him. Do you understand? There's a huge difference there. This isn't something that we produce. It's not out of our own making or effort. But God has ordained that through our lives, people will see Christ in us. Again, because of his light, we will see light. But the beauty of that kind of light is that it won't glorify us. It will glorify our Father who is in heaven, the only one who is worthy. It's interesting because in just a few weeks, when we get to chapter 6, we're going to see that Jesus warns his disciples not to do good works in order to be seen by others, because then they'll have no reward from their Father who is in heaven. So which is it? Are we to let our light shine before others so they may see our good works and give glory to God who is our Father in heaven? Or... Are we to beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them? For then you'll have no reward from your fathers in heaven. Well, 
never fear. Jesus is not contradicting himself here. Um, If you continue reading past verse 1 in chapter 6, you're going to see, we're going to see that it's obvious that when people give to those in need or they pray or they fast just so that others can see or hear them, they're doing it for all the wrong reasons. They're deliberately doing it for self-glorification. They're seeking the attention and praise of those around them. It doesn't come from a transformed heart. It comes from pride and self-righteousness. But listen, this is actually going to be a really long sentence, but I know you can stay with me, right? Are you ready? (laughs) When the light of Jesus is truly in us, And then shines out of us. Because it just can't not shine out of us by way of good works. It all draws attention, not to us, but to the presence of the kingdom in us. And that's how God is glorified. Because it's evidence of just how faithful and gracious and good he has been, is, and forever will be in fulfilling his promises to us. Through the work of Christ for us, the work of Christ in us, and the work of Christ through us. Y'all, it is all the work of God. When we are salt and light in this world, as Jesus has made and called us to be, all glory goes to the Father, to our Father, who is in heaven. And isn't that an incalculably precious and profound thing? That through faith in Jesus... His Father, Jesus' Father, becomes our Father. It's awesome. So what? Why is any of that important? Well, again, like we were reminded a few weeks ago, all throughout history, ever since Adam and Eve ate the fruit in the garden, we humans have been resisting and rebelling against God, building our own little kingdoms anywhere and everywhere we can, setting ourselves up as their little sovereign rulers, right? Wanting everybody to get in line right behind us, including God himself, right? That's, that's, that's how we want to live life. But Jesus brought a whole nother kind of kingdom, you know, before, when we set ourselves up as our sovereign rulers, we, we just can't help but do that because of this, the sinful natures with which we're born. But in Jesus' kingdom, when we come into to what he has for us, our hearts are transformed. In his kingdom, the things the world despises, the spirit produced poverty in our spirits, humility, Deep brokenness over our sin, meekness, righteousness, mercy, purity, peace. These are all the things that are most cherished and treasured in the kingdom of God. They're the characteristics of Jesus' disciples through which God establishes and grows his kingdom and his way because he's the sovereign ruler, not us. And when we respond to God's call to enter into his kingdom, he makes us to be the salt of the earth. Our lives are important, not in an egotistical kind of way. What I mean by that is that by God's design, regardless of our status or profession, 
doctor, computer programmer, truck driver, teacher, grocer, stay-at-home mom, blue-collar worker, business owner, attorney, builder, pastor, student, retiree. Do you get my drift? It doesn't matter who you are or what you do. Regardless of where God has placed each and every single one of us, the kingdom life we possess inside of us is utterly invaluable for the preserving and seizing and seasoning and fertilizing effect it will have in our daily lives and the places God has called us to inhabit. We are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. The reason God doesn't just save us and take us immediately right out of this world to go home and be with him right away is because there are still many walking in darkness who desperately need the light of his transforming grace, just like we do. And we are that light if we are genuine disciples of Jesus, set apart to be different from all those around us who are yet living in darkness. So this means that we have to be out there in rotten places that aren't so comfortable or popular or glamorous to be in. We have to be out there where there is darkness, where hope has been lost, where seeds need to be planted and fertilized and watered and nurtured. We are meant to be in the world, not of it, we're absolutely meant to be set apart and different for sure, but we cannot just circle up and keep the world out in an effort to preserve and protect ourselves. People are dying. Eternal deaths separated from God. And we are the only ones who have the message of hope and salvation in Christ. We are the only ones who can and will be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Now, it is absolutely right and good that we circle up like this on Sunday mornings. Yes and amen. We come together to, to sing and to praise and to hear the word and to get encouraged. We gain strength. We pray in faith in order for us to go out to be salt and light throughout the rest of the week. Day by day by day, through the ordinary rhythms of our lives, it may not seem terribly spectacular. Most of the time it doesn't. But it is supernatural and it is profoundly important. Y'all, this world is in moral decay and darkness. You don't need me to tell you that. You turn on the news, you turn on social media, it is everywhere. It is ugly. There is so much hatred and divisiveness over everything for crying out loud. People are just downright mean and rude. I mean, we think kids are bullies? Holy cow, you should see some of the things that people are writing on my feed. What breaks my heart is that far too often those people who profess to follow after and love Jesus, they look the exact same way as the rest of the world. 
And this should not be. It may seem so trivial, but this is exactly what the Beatitudes address. As, why is, as well as why Jesus says that we're to be salt and light. We, we absolutely have to tell people about Jesus. We have to literally use our words to verbally share the reason for the hope that we have. But it really is true that so very often our actions speak so much louder than our words. We must speak and live differently than the world around us. We must. It's who we are. It's what we're called to be and do. So church, are, are we rude or disrespectful in person, in our cars, online? Do we sit in judgment on those who differ in their opinions or convictions or decisions? Do we go out of our way to serve those around us rather than expect to be served? Are we humble, kind, patient, gracious, loving? What we've learned from Jesus so far in this sermon is that we won't be rude or disrespectful, unkind, judgmental if we have allowed the kingdom life to have its full effect in us. We don't need to go out and change the world and fix all of its problems. Whew. That's not our job. That's not what we're called to do. We are called to be salt and light right here, right now, in all the ordinary ways of our ordinary lives, day by ordinary day. A life lived intentionally like that is a life lived well. And one that glorifies God. I came across a quote by an author of the name of David McCullough. He said, I'm more interested in the little things, such as remembering to say thank you and to call your mom on Mother's Day. These things may not seem terribly important when compared with the major problems facing our culture. Yet they may be the best place to begin they may be the only honest place to begin. If a person can't remember to say thank you to her housekeeper, it probably won't matter much if she writes a major philosophical treatise on kindness. If a person is rude to his family, the angels probably won't give a holy rip if he preaches soaring sermons on the nature of love. Okay, so full disclosure, I really just wanted to say that there might be something that the angels might not give a holy rip over. I knew my parents would love that. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I just feel so compelled to bring this right down into the nitty-grittiness of our daily lives. Because, you know, I think we over-spiritualize this stuff. We think we've got to do this, we have big things for God, whatever that means. And if we're not doing big things for God, then we're really not doing anything at all. That is a lie straight from hell. Through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit within us, be kind. Be gracious. Be patient. Be forgiving. Be meek. Be humble. Be salt. Be light. Right where you are.
not because of anything you have in you, not because of what you bring to the table, but because that is who you are in and through Jesus Christ. That is what he has done for you. That is what he has made possible for you. Let it have its full effect. Be encouraged. Jesus knows we need help in all of this. Not only do we not really know how, but we can't be salt and light on our own. So he's going to continue to teach, and then he's going to demonstrate with his very life what it really means and looks like to faithfully live out the commandments and the righteousness of the law because of the nature of the kingdom within us. But again, he's going to turn our understanding of it upside down. Because of Jesus, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. Let's pray. Father, once again, um, your word convicts us, it encourages us, it amazes us, it pierces us, it challenges us, but I thank you that through the Holy Spirit, your word sanctifies us. And we ask that you would allow it to have its full effect in us, that we might walk out and demonstrate the nature of the kingdom that is within us that you might be glorified and that people would come to see and know Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen. So as the band plays, uh, you can stay seated. Tyler will eventually, eventually ask you to stand and, and sing with them. But I want you to consider, talk with God about, um, if you really want to be salty, the good kind, right? We often say that about my Megan. She's often salty. Not the good kind. <laughs> Do you long for faithfulness? Do you long for holiness? Do you long for righteousness in order that you might be salt, in order that you might be light as God has made and called you to be? Spend some time talking with him about that this morning. Thank you.